So this morning we're going to be reading through Haggai chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Haggai chapter 2 as we talk about remembering God's promises. Uh, all under the theme of a needed renewal from the Lord after an exile. Uh, last week we saw in chapter 1 the importance of reprioritizing the rebuilding and rhythms of where we are in God's presence with God's people. Uh, that was the temple of God for the Old Testament Israel at that time. And that for us is the local church, our gospel community given to us in the New Testament covenant for us. And so, listen, uh, I do want to, before we get into the text, uh, say this. If you were here last week, if you were watching online, if last week's message seemed especially hard or convicting in some ways, especially when considering your ways as the text asks, listen, I want to share with you, I understand that, and I was convicted as well. Uh, even knowing how some of our exiles have been different than what we read in this text, that it's not done by God because of our sin, maybe even feeling this way because of sin done against you by others, we still can't, as hard as that text was, we still cannot escape the truth of getting back to gospel community. We can't. It's, it's absolutely biblical. I see compl people complain about church all the time still, whether it be on social media, and I'm not undermining needed seasons. There are, is time for a season for us to get right with the Lord, figure some things out, consider our ways. But eventually we all need to get back and reprioritize rhythms of gospel community church. And if that is especially tough for you, and even if it's not tough for you, but you know some people that it is tough for in this season. Um, I want to ask you to reach out to me, reach out to Jacob, our staff, and we want to give you a gift. Whether this is your very first time here and God has you here for a reason, or you're a longtime member attender, and you're like, I don't want to go to the pastor and say, hey, I'm having a hard time with church right now. Don't worry about that. Um, we have uh, several copies of this book right here called Rediscover Church. Why the body of Christ is essential. And we want to give that to you as a gift. Again, no judgment. It's been hard for a lot of people right now. But I think this book can be used in your heart and your life right now. It was written by a guy named Jonathan Lehman. Um, he works with Nine Marks, and God used his former books and, and his writings in church discipline and membership uh, greatly in, in my life. Uh, and then also by Colin Hansen, who's a main editor at Gospel Coalition, who, again, has been greatly used in my life speaking out about things I felt and agreed with in culture and in politics, where I felt a little bit like an exile the last decade or so. And again, so these two authors I trust, um, three-fourths into the book, uh, highly recommend. We have a good amount of extra copies that we'd love to give to you as a gift or to somebody else that may you may want to give that to. Just see me, see one of our staff so we can be able to do that, okay? Um, and on that note, be encouraged, as last week's message may have been a little bit tough, 
Uh, but this next step, in my opinion, comes across a lot more encouraging as God often follows hard things with encouraging assurance as we see Haggai assure God's people in post-exile that God has not forgotten his promises. From earlier prophets like Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, God fulfills his promises with us. So let's read God's word. Haggai chapter 2, starting off with verse 1, God's word says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So we see that after reprioritizing the building of the temple, for us, gospel community, getting out of what chapter 1 says, getting out of the comfort of their houses to help rebuild the house of God. Haggai is speaking his second oracle or prophecy on the last regular day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. That's the seventh month, the 21st day of the month, where the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, where it says, verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, both men in high positions, important positions, and to all the remnant of the people. And says, and say, remember this came less than two months after the first prophecy we read about last week regarding the rebuilding of the temple. A place there to be in God's presence with each other, their community. In fact, Wheaton Bible College's Old Testament professor, Andrew Hill, says, to hear from God again within such a short period of time, it affirmed the people's response of obedience to the first message. So they were obedient to God saying, rebuild the temple, get back into community. And that is my hope and prayer for us after last week, that we will hear more from the Lord as we are obedient to his voice at this time as his church body, especially in regards to rebuilding the body of Christ here. Now look at verse three. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? 
How do you see it now? Is it not? Has nothing in your eyes? Yes, who is left among you? Representing a remnant still. Those who were there that saw it in its glory. God's meeting them there, using it. Do you not see it as it lies in ruins right now? In fact, the last rhetorical question, is it not as nothing in your eyes? That is him asking, is God asking if they still care when seeing it left incomplete? Do you care for something that God uses, has used so mightily, so powerfully, that's needed? Do you even care that it's left in the ruins right now? So God uses these three questions to have God's people post-exile, both at this time and in our post-exile time today, to do a bit of remembering. In fact, in the next six verses, for the rest of this prophecy, he's going to go back to remember. And as we study God's word, we will do a bit of remembering ourselves. It is not wrong to remember the past. It's not, and it's called for, as indicated by God's first question here. But we also must remember that we cannot stay stuck in the past. We cannot remain stuck in the past. That's very rarely good or will result in godly Thanks. We all know that the past even can become a blind source of idolatry. It's why it is very easy to make fun of those who are stuck in what we call their former glory days. I mean, some of you guys know you see this in movies, you see this in neighbors, maybe even you see this in yourselves, and we're not going to call it out. But you see the people that are stuck in their old high school, college, popular fraternity sororities, and they want to relive that. They can't wait, and that reunion is like the thing that they look forward to more than anything in the past. And they're even trying to like raise up their kids in that way, in the exact thing. Their glory days of being the high school quarterback, and their glory days of being part of the, the cool kid, or the dramas during that time. You see sports programs. Sports programs that really stink right now, but they think they are just as much as a powerhouse from decades ago. As a Big Ten fan, I see this with Nebraska. I have quite a few Nebraska fans from my old seminary days, and they still think back and stay back to the days when they won their back-to-back championships. You say that about Texas, especially after their loss yesterday, okay? You could say that about UK basketball. I kid, I kid, I'm just kidding, okay? Don't throw the tomatoes out here, okay? You see how we can be stuck and what we remember, the good, the glory days. But listen, church, this is especially true when we have a near idolatrous attachment in the church to certain places, certain spaces, certain methods, programs, and events within the church. It's only done this way through this method, with this color carpet, and that version of the Bible. And we remain in the past. And this is probably more true than ever over these last few years, where, God, where church was suddenly ripped from everyone. And coming back 
to it in person looked very different, no matter what, whether that was because of your expectations or other people leaving that you were used to, to new people joining and everyone having differing opinions on what's safe, what's essential, and what is needed. And so, as we are given a strong, encouraging charge as we read here, to remember the past, not by remaining stuck in it, but by remembering more than anything God's promises. After feeling without a spiritual home or a family for some of you over these last few years, let's make sure we're not confusing the sin of reclaiming the glory days without remembering God's promises to move forward to what he is doing now. So as we reflect a bit on the past in exile or post-exile, here are some things God would say to us as he said to the post-exile Israelites in the book of Haggai right here. Look at verse 4. Be strong. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Second time saying it. Be strong. Third time, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Instead of the usual, fear not, for I am with you, which you will hear and read about in just a moment. This time, God's people need to hear God declaring this. Be strong in this time. You can work. You can serve. I am with you. Where last week felt heavy when considering our ways after exile, seeing where our priorities are when looking at the church in many ways struggling, lying in ruin, this declaration from the Lord and the following words from the Lord is encouraging and assuring as it should be to us. In fact, that command to be strong, in which he repeats three times in this one verse, is the same exhortation that was given to Moses to be delivered to his people as the second generation of post-Exodus Israelites were poised to enter into the land of the covenant promise in Deuteronomy 31. We also see, see these same words, be strong to Joshua as he was to lead a campaign of God's people to conquer Canaan and Joshua 1. We see it with King David as he utters these same exact words to Solomon, be strong at the building of the first temple in 1 Chronicles 28. We have this reminder in church history of the church and believers needing to be strong in the midst of persecution, martyrdom, and exile. In fact, I can't but help to think of this 1883 painting by Jean-Leon Jerome called Christian Martyr's Last Prayer. He painted this again in 1883, soon after what he portrayed the time when Nero was persecuting and killing Christians, blaming them for the fires in Rome. I can't but help to think of this famous painting of the gentleman in the midst of the circle of Christians, knowing that they're about for entertainment, to be devoured by animals. 
as they all go to him and he lifts his head up, praying to the Lord. That's not a picture of strength in the midst of exile. I don't know what is. To the testimonies and stories that you can Google and search of Christians in Afghanistan right now and the prayer and hope of being strong in literal physical exile in the midst of spiritual exile. Be strong. And then we see in verse 5 how we are to remember God's covenantal promises. Verse 5 says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. And there's the fear not right there. Fear not. He says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. In fact, that clause, when you came out of Egypt, looks both back to the past and forward in anticipation of the future. In an effort to encourage those who are still in despair, those who still have PTSD from their exile. In fact, this flashback to the exodus from Egypt was given to show the continuity of the Lord's sovereignty, of his activity in their history as God's people through that original covenant promise. That's why he says, according to the covenant that I made with you, which that covenant is found in Exodus 19, 3 through 5. You can feel free to flip there. It's on the screens right in front of you. Look at this original covenant promise that he made that Haggai is reminding them of. Verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all my peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's the original covenant promise. Also, this is showing how he will fulfill his promises during their time of exile. As he did through prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And now before we really dig deep with this again important point here. I believe the main purpose for the second prophecy and command for God's people post-exile, remember that to be in exile is to be without a home. We must really hone in and understand and know the importance of what a covenant is. Of the truth that we have a God that does nothing but keeps his own truths. You know, the two largest hurts regarding one's family and home. Remember, exile is to be without a home in ways. Whether you feel that spiritually, politically, emotionally, physically, exile is to be without a home. And I can't but help to think how in all my time that I served in student ministry, growing up in a dysfunctional family myself, the two largest hurts regarding one's family and home is this. One, in my opinion, to not be loved, especially in a home. 
Number two is to have a promise broken from those who are supposed to guide, protect, provide, and care within a home. In fact, I've seen many types of examples of hurt from broken promises. I know we can think about like the funny joke examples, how people don't trust almost like any type of like marketing, sales, car salesman, right? You don't trust them anymore because of some broken promises that are made. I have a little incident actually with AT&T with that right now. I'm not going to go into detail. But how much more it hurts with people, with jobs that affect you, with bosses and coworkers, with friends, with family. In fact, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I've ever seen more hurt that has come from broken promises from within the family and parents. I've seen a lot of it, experienced it. I'm not sure if there's greater hurt in this world. It's why for us, although we're never going to be perfect, for parents in this room, how important it is for us to keep our promises. I know we're not going to be perfect. I know we're going to need grace. But I do believe we, including myself, needs to take this more serious. I'll never forget when my wife graciously, needingly pointed this out to me. Something as simple as being home on time. How hurtful that was to tell her, I'll be home at 5.30 and not to be home. Seeing my kids waiting at the door when they were younger, just at the window. Dad's going to be home at 5.30. Dinner's on the table. This is time. We only have two hours before they go to bed. And when I would just, oh, this is an important meeting, church-related, and just not caring. And I remember her sitting me down, looking me in the eye, and saying, listen, not only is this a disrespect to her time, our family time, but it's keeping your word. And I'll, again, not perfect, have done my absolute best. Even the very least, calling, Jess, I'm going to be 30 seconds late. 30 seconds, okay? <laughs> because I realize the importance of keeping our word. Letting our yeses be yes, our noes be noes, as Jesus had said. How often, again, this extends to so many other things with family, with church, with our jobs. What an important witness this is for us as Christians because this is a witness, an image of God's own faithfulness, of his truth-telling, of his trustworthiness. That when we strive toward this, knowing how important it is, knowing we have a God that is faithful, that is truthful, that is trustworthy, and listen, in the midst of exile, will not break his promises to us. What he has promised to you in Jesus through the gospel, he will deliver. Oh, how important that word that is in here covenant is. I love this word. I don't care if it's not used anywhere else anymore. It needs to be used. When describing Jesus' forever 
unbreakable promise to us, an assurance of salvation to describe marriage and how it represents the gospel in Ephesians 5, the eternal pursuing love he shows to us in spite of our continual spiritual adultery. When making promises to God still today, has his bride, the church, knowing that we will sin, we will break it, we will wander, but knowing the weight of such repentance and restoration that comes with those promises and that he will never break his. God will never break a promise to you. You need to trust in that. You need to rest in that in the midst of feeling like you're without a home. He doesn't lie. He doesn't bait and switch as many youth events programs does. This is what you get with God. What I have saved you to, I will continue to work out with you and through you. Our covenant promises that we receive in him, especially in the midst of exile, which is when the prophet Isaiah delivered this promise to God's people here. Look at this, Isaiah 42, 14 through 16. Look at this promise. For a long time, I've held my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. And I know the abundance of new moms and newborns that we seem to have are like reminding themselves right now, like, yes, I understand what that means right there. Verse 15, I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands, dry up the pools, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know and paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I do not Forsake them. While you have felt like one without a spiritual home, where God even seemed restrained, says, I will show up in verse 14, boisterous, undeniable ways. Where you felt blind and didn't know what was ahead, I will guide you in paths that you didn't even know about. For some of you, that may be getting back into church, a new church here in this community with mission. I will turn darkness into light, rough places into level ground. I can't but help when reading that one to think of a meeting I had with a family from here recently who shared how through one of the toughest seasons of their life over these last few years, from all the unknowns regarding coronavirus, church online, how God had used some of those very unknowns and now new uncharted territories, territories for their kids to start doing some of their own soul searching and how the parents had said, although this has been one of the toughest two years we've ever had, how both of their kids came to Christ and professed salvation over that time. If that's not turning darkness into light or rough places into level ground, I don't know what is. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So in the midst of exile, or even after it, instead of just remaining in the past, we must remember 
God's promises. Church promises like Jesus loves us. How that love turns into love for him and to one another, which Jesus said will be one of the biggest witnesses to the world. Promises like God speaks to us through his word and that it bears fruit. Promises like the assurance of salvation and much, much more. Remember God's promises right now. Look at verses 6 through 8. Because we're to remember Jesus' upcoming kingdom reign as well. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 6 and 7, he says, I will shake things up. I will get people's attention. I will show I have control over the world. Even give treasures of nations to come in to, at this time, financially help physically rebuild this temple. Verse 8, as we see, God ultimately owns all the wealth of all nations. He says, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. Therefore, it should be used in obedience to him. Additionally, this verse and such meaning is what the author of Hebrews used when describing the kingdom of Jesus through the gospel being ushered in. I want to read the full context for how he even references Moses, who we received that covenant promise in Exodus 19 with, and how Jesus now ushers in a new covenant that brings a new unshaken kingdom using this verse. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. I'm not going to be explaining this verse by verse. I just want to read it. Look at verse 18 of Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. For if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Verse 26, at that time, now referencing Haggai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, it indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
This is the kingdom of the gospel through Jesus being ushered in. A new kingdom that makes us new citizens resting in a promise of a good, sovereign, trustworthy king who will lead us in unshakable kingdoms where we can't but help to be in reverence and awe of. What a promise that is. In a time and age where it is so hard to trust kingdoms of this world, we have an unshakable kingdom through Jesus. And then verse 9, the last verse. We are to rest in God's greater glory, his greater peace, and in his home. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I read verse 9, and I can't but help to think of some of the cliche, trendy kind of church slogans or phrases that are used. Again, not unbiblical or wrong by any means, but sometimes it just annoys me because I'll see, I know there's nothing new under the sun, but when I see like literally like 10 churches using the same exact slogan, I'm like, be a little original, okay? And I got to deal with that with God, I got to admit, okay? But one real popular one is greater things are yet to come, okay? And again, it's not unbiblical, it's not wrong, it's not heretical, but it's like every church using it. Greater things are yet to come. And at the same time, I can't but help to think of that, how true it is when reading this verse. That the latter glory of the temple will be greater than the former temple. Why? How? Many interpreters and, comment, and, and, and commentators believe that this is dealing with the new covenant in the temple. That us as the church body. Although there's not a quotation to that in the New Testament. We know we see the differences between the old and new kingdom and exile. And how much better we have it with Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of this passage. It should reveal a wider view of redemption that the possessions of Jews and Gentile that was enlisted in restoring the temple as a place of shalom, peace, well-being, that just like Ezekiel envisions the temple as a source of healing, that the New Testament mystery is a new spiritual temple. Us, the church body, composed of people from all nations, as we studied in 1 Corinthians 3 this year, a new gospel community that's the focal point of God's saving work in the world. Ultimately, the temple, which was used as a sign of God's presence with his people, the presence of the Lord of hosts, the Lamb, and his beloved people, is now the church body, described in Revelation 21. We, the body of Christ, are God's greater glory than that physical temple building. And if you read the Old Testament, you know how important that is. And that's us. How amazing is that? They needed that temple for temporary forgiveness, atonement, to be in God's presence. And now we need Jesus and what he delivered and gives us in the gospel through his buried life and his resurrection and out of grace offering us new life in him through repentance and faith, we become such things. How he uses now us in sharing that and living that out with others to receive that. That 
is the greater glory. And as hard as it's been for some of us, even after having Jesus, there really is greater things yet to come. Not because that's our new church slogan. Because you already have it. Greater glory and peace we can look forward to because of Jesus. No matter what you've experienced over these last few years. A place of shalom, which means an otherworldly peace and well-being. Our need for shalom. Peace is a state of tranquility or a quietness of spirit that transcends all circumstances. That term peace, described in scripture, is a gift from God and aligns with his character. And God gives peace. He gives us peace in this time. Do you need that? In an anxious, worrisome world, do you want that? Can you see how much that's needed when feeling like without a home? But you have one. You have it with the Lord, with his imperfect but still needed church family. And it won't happen when remaining in the past. It won't happen without remembering God's promises. From the promise of the gospel to his promise of the future glory that we help usher in right now through a kingdom that won't be shaken. It happens when we trust him and we obey him. Because what he has given us through the gospel of Jesus, church, remember his promises. Remember the kingdom that is to come. Remember the peace that he gives us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for your word. I pray it bears much, much fruit to those who need that peace here today, those who have been anxious, those who have been worried, to those who are maybe remaining not the wrong things, but in things that are taking their eyes off what you are doing within their lives right now, the church, for the upcoming anticipated kingdom that is being ushered in. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the reminder that you give your people how many years ago to anticipate you and you coming, that we have, but now we anticipate you coming back and defeating sin, Satan, death once and for all. It's already been done through what you did on the cross, how you took our sins before yourself out of a great covenantal love for us, how you rose from the grave, how you offer that out to us, that when we turn from our sin, have saving faith in you and what you did in the cross and resurrection, we have that home with you, that peace with you, that anticipation and expectation that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens, we have a promise that will not be unbroken from you, to never leave us or forsake us, to forever love us, to redeem us, to give us that same love, that same power, that same peace to extend to our own families, our own community, 
our own places that you send us off to. Jesus, as we sing to you, let's sing out of recognition that greater glory that you give us. We thank you. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus.